I've been around long enough that I can remember when Jake was about Josiah's age and he flew back to India and came back engaged with a wife. So I don't know, maybe that's what's in store for Josiah. We can, uh, it might take more than a month though, Jake, for, to find a wife for Josiah. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. One of the interesting things about that hymn, which I really appreciated, um, that last phrase that we repeated, um, I guess it's the title phrase, it's my living hope, right? Jesus is not just a hope or our hope. He's the living hope. Um, and it's something to really celebrate, the fact that we have a living Savior. Um, our Jesus is not just a martyr. Um, he wasn't just a historical figure. He is our very present help in need. He is our living hope. Um, the one who uh, lives and intercedes and interme- uh, intermediates on our behalf and the one who is returning to us uh, to receive us unto himself one day. So we're, we rejoice in that. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. As we, um, as was discussed, we're looking at a command um, called Be Genuine. Um, it's an interesting topic <laughs> um, to study. It doesn't lend itself well to personal anecdotes because if you start talking about personal anecdotes, then you actually break the purpose of the message, right? Like if you start saying, well, in order to be genuine, I did this, right? Like you sort of go through that process and you realize that your uh, back is up against the wall. Although there is probably something I will share um, along the way. Um, It's sort of like giving a message on how to be humble Um, and using yourself as an example, right? Like it's not exactly uh, ideal in an ideal circumstance. But thankfully, the Word of God has some really good examples for us to look at that we can examine and we can ask the Lord to give us some help with this along the way. So we're going to read one verse in Matthew chapter 6 and then we'll read a a couple other um, sections of Matthew 6 along the way. Matthew 6 and verse 1 Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we're thankful that, um, especially in this passage, one of the things we'll notice is the term Father is used repeatedly. We thank you that your Son showed us how to have a relationship with you, and he enabled us to have a relationship with you, that we can call you Father. And we thank you that what that means is that we don't need to convince you to be on our side, that your your desire is already toward us, and that your hope is for us. And we do pray that as we look at the um, command that's been assigned for the day, as well as the examples, that you would help us to understand your heart in all of this, and that we would be more Christ-like Uh, by following your lead and your example. We just give you thanks in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. So this verse um, is really the heart of the whole passage, and it also gives us um, the emphasis and and a little bit of an outline that we're going to look at um, throughout the different examples. So the first word is the word beware. Beware of practicing your righteousness. So one of the things that I was thinking about um, as you go through this passage and Um, It actually was highlighted 
in um, I think it was William McDonald's commentary. I usually start with him, and then I go to Ironside and um, Ma- uh, not Maccabee. Um, no, not Macintosh, although I go to him sometimes, too. I can't think of it now. Uh, J. Vernon McGee. So I go to McGee, and there's a bunch of, like, you just go through, and you, I have, like, four or five, but I usually try to read through this at first. And one of the things that I think we want to be careful about is that I believe this is inherently and emphatically about our motive. It is not about the mechanism of our acts. It is our motive. Um, and I think that's important because uh, McDonald said, and I, I had come to this conclusion as well, you can't focus, we're going to read at the end of um, at verse 3, about your left hand not knowing what your right hand is doing. And, and we often hear about that, like don't let your left know what your right is doing. And usually when we hear about that, ironically, it's, it's often from people who aren't actively involved in ministry and in giving. Like it's like almost like it's, they're looking for an excuse not to do something. And that's the exact opposite of what the Lord is trying to do here. We're gonna we're gonna look at that. There's a point in that left and right, but it's not it's not prescriptive for the mechanism. The whole focus of this is the heart and motive, and that's why in verse one it says, "Beware, beware!" Like it's almost check yourself, like check your heart when these things are involved. Beware of practicing your righteousness. So again, this isn't just about giving. We're going to look at three different acts of righteousness in Matthew 6, and then we're going to look at four examples, Lord willing, of people that were demonstrating acts of righteousness and how it manifested itself and what we can learn from it. So there's three different acts of righteousness in Matthew 6 uh, that we're going to look at. One is giving, one is praying, um, and one is fasting. And so we're going to learn something from looking at these three acts of righteousness. So beware, be reflective, be cautious, check yourself. Beware of practicing your righteousness. How? Before other people. And if we stop there, that would be a problem. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people, period. Then it would be a mechanical thing. But that's not where the verse ends. It says, in order to be seen by them. That's where the motive comes in. That's how we can know for sure that the beware isn't, beware about practicing acts of righteousness. Beware about how you practice them. No, no, no. It's beware about why you practice them. In order, or so that, they would be seen by others or seen by them. So the, the, the caution isn't about practicing righteous acts of righteousness. It isn't even about being seen. It's about the motive of being seen. And they give some really good examples and we're going to go through this. And almost every act of righteousness that we're going to look at as an example, there's one, ironically, a very interesting one that was not done publicly. But most of the acts of righteousness that we're going to look at were done in a public manner. Public in the sense that it could be seen. It wasn't, um, there wasn't a surreptitious way in which it went about. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. So what's the consequence if that's, if you have a wrong motive? 
For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So the whole warning here is be careful why you are practicing your righteousness. Be careful about your motive. Because if your motive is to be seen on earth by others, that's your reward. So the, the warning isn't even about sinning. It's about loss of reward, which is significant. We're all going to be at the judgment seat of Christ, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, right? We're all going to be at the judgment seat of Christ in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the time of the rapture, or either we're going to be alive, taken to be with him, or we're going to be resurrected and given a new body, and we're going to be see him, meet him in the air, and there's going to be, and all of you poor college kids, there's going to be testing. How did you do? What did you do with, the th- with your time, talent, treasure, truth while you were here on earth? And if we did it for the purpose of being rewarded, well, then there's no reward at that moment. If we did it, and I'm going to argue even if we were seen with the right motive, there's a reward. You know, there's lots of things, and, and we, you know, it's, um, at Greenwood we have, thus far, since 1931, resisted having anything named after anyone. Although there was a brief moment several years ago where someone wanted to name something after A.P. Gibbs because this person was a personal friend of him and gave a lot of money, and we're just like, no. Like, even though he's dead, even though he's not the one giving the money, like, like the answer is no. Because it just creates a problem down the road, right? Um, I happen to sit on the uh, board of trustees of Moravian University, and everything has a name. Like, everything has a name. Um, scholarships. Now, people don't give money... No matter how much money you give to Moravian, there is going to be no eternal reward. It's not doing anything spiritually beneficial, right? Like, it's just, it's 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 good for society, perhaps. Um, it's education's valuable, perhaps. But it's not eternally valuable. There's no reward for it, right? But it's not just Moravian. You could look at a hospital. You could look at whatever. You know, names go on. One of my friends is um, Wendy. Our friends, Wendy Bodie is the, her name. She works in the same office building. When you w- walk in the front door of Leah Valley Health Network and you go to the right to go see Jim, you walk by the Bodie Family Library. Her family donated lots of money for a library in the hospital. No eternal reward. Lots of claps when you walk by for her family, but no eternal reward. Um, so within Christianity, there's and there's places... There's Laterno University, and Laterno is not just some Greek doctrinal word. It was actually named after Mr. Laterno, and it was named after Mr. Laterno because he gave the money for the college. Now, the college does a lot of really valuable, eternally valuable things, and I'm not going to argue over whether it should have been named for him or not, but it's one of those things like it was seen, but what was his motive? I doubt the motive was for his glory. It was for God's glory. So we're looking at reward, motive, and whether it was seen or not seen. Those are like some of the things that are evident in this very first verse. So let's look at the first example of an act of righteousness um, in Matthew 6, verse 2. Thus, so it's connected to number one, beware of your motive. 
Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you. Well, that would sound like a motive, right? If um, if we're going to um, collect soup cans and take them down to a, a neighborhood in Allentown, and we're going to blow the horn as we arrive with our soup cans, like there's a problem with that, right? There's a there's a motive issue with that. There's nothing wrong with the soup cans. There's nothing wrong with delivering them. There's a problem in the announcing and proclaiming it. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. See the motive there? I want to get the credit. I want to be praised. I want to be seen as giving to the needy. So I'm practicing my righteousness to be seen. Like, that's the whole problem here. It's to be seen. And what happens? You're going to get glory. (laughs) Man is going to say, nice job. That is so kind of you. And, you know, it may feel good at the moment, but there's a loss of eternal reward. There's a temporal reward, which feels good for a moment, but there's a loss of a permanent eternal reward at the cost of that. You can't get both, right? You can't get both. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Be careful about doing acts of righteousness so that they can be seen. Now, one of the ways you can be careful is to not do it publicly, to be that that it's possible to be seen, but sometimes that's not it's just not um, feasible. One, one could argue that every person, and I'm one of them, but every person that writes out a check for a gift is doing it to some extent publicly because someone else is going to see that check and someone's going to know how much you gave on that particular day. But did you write a check so that they could see it? Did you wave it? Did you bring in one of those really big checks that they have at uh, che- when they're when they're dedicating something? I here's my check. You put it back in the car and you put the real check in the box. No, of course we don't do that, right? But but there's some ways that aren't feasible to be done completely in secret, or sim- easily feasible. In some ways they are, right? In some ways they are. Truly, I say to you, they receive the reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, I don't like, and unfortunately, I have this passage, and two Wednesdays from now, I have another passage, and both of them are hard to take literally. But all of our lives in Bible study, as good evangelical dispensational Christians, the first rule of Bible study is take everything literal unless you can't take it literal, right? Like, that's that's the rule of Bible study. Uh, first assumption is you take it literal, unless you can't take it literal. You start getting into a whole mess. Think of just Genesis 1. If you don't take the six days plus one literally, you get into a whole mess of what that means, right? If you don't take Adam and Eve literally, you get into a whole mess of what that means, right? Um, Wheaton College has made a incredibly naive statement for their um, faculty, their Old Testament faculty, that they don't care how you interpret Genesis 1, 2, and 3 
as long as you eventually get to an Adam and Eve. So everything up to Adam and Eve is up open to interpretation. The number of days of creation, whether it was created or whether it was a big bang and just Adam and Eve showed up. This is wheat in college. So you can't... Normally you take things literally, right? That's that's the goal. Well, can we really take the verse, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing? Can we really take that literally? I think the answer is probably almost no. But the whole point is, there's a couple points. One, I thought, like, don't keep an account. Don't keep an account. Now, again, I'm a tax accountant. One of the things we beg our clients to do is please keep an account. Bring your receipts in, right? We want your receipts, and if it's over 250 a check, you're supposed to have a concurrent receipt to document that your check is not good enough. So there's a whole convoluted system that our government makes you go through uh, that the charitable organizations have to comply with. And so does your left hand know what you're doing? Yes, in those cases, yes. You're even keeping an account. But again, I think the only way that this makes sense is if it's a motive issue. Like, don't give with your right hand so that you can praise with your left hand. Or don't give with your right hand so that you can um, uh, get you know, raise your hand and acknowledge it with the left. Wendy and I were just at a fundraising event. It's really fun when you start studying this stuff and then life happens along the study and you're like, oh man. I'll tell you a quick thing and, and it's I'm really glad for the Lord's um, working in all of our lives as we study the word of God. We were I was um, visiting Jim on Friday and they have a really nice sign up that has everyone's name that's come to visit as a sense of encouragement and uh, Ruth and and, and uh, Meg were there. Hi, guys. They were going to be listening. Um, Jim and Ruth were going to be listening. And one of them said, Mike, put a mark next to your name to keep track that you were here more than once, twice. And everyone else has these little marks. I'm like, oh, no. Like, I was like, I'm, like, I'm preaching on this on Sunday. <laughs> but again, no one's putting their mark up there. So that, oh, wow, look, so-and-so was there 27 times. Like, no one's doing it for that reason, right? But it's interesting when you're studying a passage like this how something clicks in your mind right away like I can't keep track of that like my left would know what my right's doing like and of course again it's not the motive but the instantaneous nature of it is kind of um, funny along the way and how I don't think if there wasn't a reward for visiting Jim other than just being able to visit Jim I don't think I would have lost it by putting a little check next to my name I'm convinced that that's not the point of this message. But again, the left and the right. What I was just saying, Wendy and I were at a fundraising event for Da Vinci Science Center uh, the other day. If any of you have an extra $5 million, we're still short on raising $80 million. Um, so, But the event ended with these, I don't know if anyone's been at a paddle auction. This is a new thing where um, you have your paddle, of course, with your auction number on. And you're told how this is going to go. If you want to give a thousand, I'm going to say when you want to give a thousand, you raise your paddle, and then five hundred, then a hundred, then fifty. And so everyone that wanted to give a thousand raised the paddle, and everyone gets to see what's going on. Now, obviously, that's part of the ploy for that. There's a little bit of peer pressure, right? Oh, oh, so and so just raised their paddle. I better too, right? That's the left knowing the right, right? Like that's the left knowing the right. 
hand. That's clear. That's such a clear example of what's going on. Um, and again, giving to the Da Vinci Science Center, you get a nice tax deduction. There's no eternal reward. As a matter of fact, like they talk about dinosaurs being 16 quadrillion years old, right? You know, like there's just no eternal reward. And there's some things in there that you have to watch along the way. Um, so this left versus right, you can't take it literally. But it needs to be instructive. Just because we can't take it literally doesn't mean it can't be instructive to us. And it go, I think it links well with the beginning word, which is beware. Beware of how much thought goes into this. Beware of how you pat yourself on the back. You know, you're giving with the right hand and you're patting yourself on the back with the left. Beware of that type of stuff. And I don't mean to mitigate this. And this is where a lot of people's convictions can come in. Um, like, you might have a conviction different than I would. And I'll share this because I, I, I think this is the only personal anecdote I'll share. Um, a couple months ago, even before study, like getting this assigned, I became uncertain of my motive on Wednesday night in giving prayer requests for when I was speaking at other assemblies. I need the prayers. But I began to question myself, am I saying this so that people know where I'm at? Or am I saying this so that people are impressed with where I'm at? And I couldn't settle my own motive. I really couldn't. I couldn't resolve it in my heart. And so I chose, because I couldn't resolve it, I chose to create a little calendar that I shared with the elders, and I said, I need your prayers. I even said, I feel funny about mentioning this on Wednesday night right now. I just feel funny. But I wanted the elders to know where Wendy and I are. We don't just disappear on Sundays for fun and games. Um, I wanted them to know where we were, but I also wanted them to be praying, and I'm sure they are. But I just couldn't resolve my own motive. That beware, even before I studied this. I just wasn't settled. And so if I wasn't settled, my conviction is I got to do something else. Now, again, that doesn't mean that everyone else that asks for prayer on Wednesday night for this particular type of thing has the same issue I do. I just was challenged by it. It's, I'm sharing it as an example so that we understand that we can't judge other people's motives. We can't judge when their left hand is telling their right hand anything. Um, and... It really comes down to the Holy Spirit working in our lives and giving us insight into his word and producing personal conviction along the lines. Beware. Beware. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left know what your right is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Again, if it's possible to do it in secret, I think that's option one. I think it's option one. We're going to see some examples where it wasn't in secret. Um, and I think there's still something to be learned about it. So let's look at verse 5. This is the second act of righteousness that is connected with verse 1. And there's a connecting word. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Right? Here, here's the goal again, or the motive. It's not the praying in the synagogue. It's not even the praying in the street corner. 
It's the reason that they're going there to pray. Am I? Do you pray privately more than you pray on Wednesday nights or on Sunday morning? Like, what's like? Are you praying only when you're seen, or do you pray long, doctrinally sound, dispensationally beautiful prayers from Genesis to Revelation only when you're seen? Like, what's the motive? Don't pray. Um, do because for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. So, what the three things: the motive, the public nature or private nature, and the reward. So, their motive is are doing it to be seen. It's not the fact that they are seen; it's that they're doing it to be seen. It's done publicly, and there's a loss of reward. So let's take our Wednesday night prayer meetings. Does everyone who prays, does any of the brothers who pray on Wednesday night publicly, do they automatically lose a reward? Of course not, right? Like, of course not. It's the motive. Are you are you praying on Wednesday night to be seen? To be seen. Or are you praying to be a priest ministering on behalf of the saints and to the Lord Jesus? Right? There's a difference. There's a difference. Are we praying to be a blessing to the Lord's people? Or are we praying to impress the Lord's people? There's a difference. There's a difference. Why are we doing it? It can't just be the fact that it's public. Or we'd be shooting ourselves in the foot by having a Wednesday night prayer meeting. If it's if you can't pray publicly, then we should stop Wednesday night prayer meeting and just gather to study the Bible. But that's not what this means. It's not what it means at all. Right? It's not what it means at all. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. You know, one of the things that's beautiful, and I really appreciate it, and, and Father is mentioned in this passage quite a bit, is we have an ongoing relationship with the Lord Jesus and with his Father and our Father. We don't need to remind him of how much he needs to love us or how much he does love us. We don't need to remind him of all the things that are ours because he gave... It's good to praise him for such things, but we don't need a lot of words because we're already already in his good graces. If Connie wanted to borrow, this is probably years ago, Connie's probably much older than I think she is. I think of all these kids being 10. You know, Noah's 10, Josiah's 10. They're all 10. Ian's 10. I know they're not, but in my mind, everyone stops sort of at 10. Um, except Cameron, he's old enough to work. I know that. So, But if Connie wants to borrow a car, she doesn't go to her mom and say, Mom, you're the best mom ever. You make the best breakfast. And you fold my laundry in incredible ways. And when I was sick, you gave me chicken noodle soup. And when you were sick, I remember when I took care of you that one day, that one hour when you were sick. Remember that? Can I please have the car keys? No, right, Connie? You don't do that, do you? No. She doesn't have to because her mom already loves her. So it's just, Mom, can I have a car? Yes, be home by 4. Okay, good. 4 p.m., not a.m. <laughs> right? Like, that's how relationships work. We don't need a lofty conversation. 
We don't need to heap up, up empty phrases. So what's the motive? It's a motive thing, right? Go down to verse 16. This is the third act of righteousness in Matthew 6. And there's a word, and. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Look at the pattern. Look at the pattern. There's an act of righteousness. There's a motive. What's their motive? So that they may be seen by others. Is it done by, when you when you fast? I guess you can fast and stay home, right? It's possible that you're going to fast and just stay home so that no one will see you. But most of the time, if you're fasting for a day, you're going to go to work. You're going to go to school, right? And you don't want, and you don't want to look miserable. Like you're doing this because the Lord wants you to do it. If that, if He wants you to fast, you're doing it because He wants you to do it. Um, I have two really interesting stories. When I taught one summer, and Dawn could could appreciate part of this, I taught one summer, and my economics class was all Saudi students. There were twelve Saudi students during Ramadan. So they, it was an evening class. It started at 6, and it went to 8.30. These guys hadn't drank water or ate food. Now, they had their cigarettes, and they were listening to whatever music they wanted. But they would come to my class, Oh, Professor Stout, please go easy on us. I'm so, I'm so tired. I'm, I'm thirsty. Can we, can we quit at 7 so I can get home for, bre- for breaking the fast, or whatever it's called it? Can we, and it was just this, and it was every, of course, it's every night. And it was the whole time of Ramadan that I'm teaching this. Thankfully, that Ramadan moves, and the next summer when I taught it was at a different time, and they came well-nourished. But like, it was this public display of angst and sorrow and starvingness because of the fact that they hadn't eaten from sun up. Right? They haven't eaten from that time. The other interesting thing, <laughs> the uh, pizza shop in our building is owned by two Egyptians. And during Ramadan, they'll actually bring like lawn chairs and like sit in the back because of how, what's going on, Mike? His name is Mike, but it's not, it's Muhammad. They're all named Muhammad. I'm not joking. My wife can bear witness. <laughs> but one's Mike and one's Larry and one's something else. But, we, but all, I'm like, what's wrong, Mike? Oh, I'm not eating. It's Ramadan. There he is on his lawn chair, practically like half devastated from not having food in the middle of a pizza shop. So the goal is, like, that's not what the Lord wants. If we're, if he calls us to fast, then he calls us to do it with joy, right? The, the crying and the weeping has been replaced with joy in Christianity, right? There are no... Even our breaking of bread is not a sad time, brothers and sisters. It's not even a somber time. It is a seriously joyful time. And we should enjoy that. Um, But if we fast, we should do it under the Lord with joy. With joy. Okay, let's look at some examples in Scripture of people doing acts of righteousness and let's learn from that. Mark chapter 12. And hopefully this will help understand what the command looks like in real life. Mark 12. Everyone knows this? 
because this woman is famous. And so it's one of the really neat things about looking at this because her infamy today does not negate her reward for eternity. Let me just say that. Mark chapter 12, verse 41. And he, that's the Lord Jesus, sat down opposite the treasury and watched. And watched. So what was being done is being done publicly. This is not being done in secret. It's being done publicly. He watched the people put money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, as they should. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. He called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. So let me let me suggest a couple of things. This, this passage is not meant to teach Matthew 6, but I think we can learn from a real life example. So what was her motive? Was it to be seen giving her two copper coins? No. It was to worship. Giving is an act of worship. We're giving to someone who is worthy of receiving our resources. It's an act of worship. We shouldn't give because the um, church or camp organization needs money. All of those need money. But our goal, our motivation shouldn't be the me need. It should ultimately be the worship of Jesus and of the Father. So she came as an act of worship. So her motive was good. Was she seen? Was there, was this done in secret? No. Now, was it done with humility? Yes. Did she blow a trumpet? Did she call attention to herself? Obviously not. Did anyone other than Jesus know how much she gave? Probably not. So there was, the secrecy was on the amount. The secrecy, if you will, was also on the attention. But she didn't go out of her way. She didn't like hire some little kid, go put these two coins in there so no one knows I do it. Right? Like there wasn't no need for that. (coughs) And who's going to give her the reward in this situation? Well, we already know the exam- the answer, right? The Lord Jesus, not man. Man's going to praise the people giving the large sums, which the Lord said, that's nice, but they're only giving their abundance. This woman, I will say in this case, her left and right probably didn't know what was going on because she gave every penny she had. If her left hand was involved, she might have taken one and put him into- and kept that for tomorrow's bread, right? Maybe. We don't know. We can ask when we get when we meet her because I guarantee we'll meet her one day. But who who got the who gave the reward? The father did. Right? God did in this particular situation. I like this because we all know this woman. It wasn't done in secret. We all know this woman. But I know that she's going to have a reward that is probably a nice size. Bigger than perhaps uh, bigger than mine, bigger than perhaps most of the people in this room. She gave her all, right? Really neat story. Uh, Luke chapter 10. This is the one that I find the most interesting. Luke 10 and verse 33. Again, a well-known passage. 
We're just going to start at verse 33 because we all know verses 25 through 32. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, where where the traveler was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound him up, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will be I will repay when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a good neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The one who showed him mercy, the Samaritan, of course. So the good Samaritan. So the woman's act of righteousness, the widow's act of righteousness in Mark 12 was the giving of her two little coins, giving her all. The good Samaritan's act of righteousness, think about this, the good Samaritan act of righteousness was he compassionately cared for a needy this case, Levite, right? Or um, traveler, not Levite, sorry. Um, and that was more what Matthew 6 started with. When you give to the needy, right? So here we have the act of righteousness giving to the needy by a Samaritan. He does it, we're told, we don't have to guess about the motive. He had compassion. It was not so that he could win the Good Samaritan Award, which somehow we now have Good Samaritan Awards, right? It's not so that he could really win that as the inaugural Good Samaritan we now name Joe, right? That wasn't it. He had compassion. And of all of the examples we're going to look at, this was probably the one that was done without a lot of spectators. He picked up the wounded guy, he took it to an inn, and he dealt with the innkeeper. It still wasn't completely in secret, but there wasn't a crowd. There wasn't a crowd watching this. And so we see the motive was compassion. The venue was somewhat secretly, certainly not publicly. The reward, well, I'm going to be a little sketchy on this. I I don't know if this is a true account of whatever... I don't know if he was a believer. I don't know if there's an eternal reward in his future. But he certainly didn't do it to be rewarded by men. The innkeeper wasn't going to pat him on the back. The innkeeper just wanted the account settled up. And so, again, I think we see this here, as, and we can learn from this um, in different ways. Let's go to Acts chapter 3. Two more, very quickly. Probably won't read all of it because we are running out of time. Acts chapter 3. Another act of righteousness, totally different. Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us! And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. So an act of righteousness. Peter showed compassion. Peter healed the man miraculously with God working through him. What was the motive? Glory for God. It wasn't for Peter. We know because Peter... Peter tried to prevent people from giving him credit, right? He, he actively prevented people from ascribing things to him. So the motive was God. Public or private? Public. One of the most public times of the day. Prayer meeting. 
at the temple. Everyone was going. Everyone saw it. The reward? Well, God got the glory, so God gives the reward in all of this. God got the glory, so God gets gets the reward. Look at verse 9. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. There are times when a gift known to the recipient produces praise to God. And that's the... if, if, If you give a gift to someone in need and they know it, the goal should be and your prayer should be that they would give thanks to God for using you. Right? And that comes from 2 Corinthians 9, verse 12 through 15. They gave glory to God because of your gift. They, the, the, the people in 2 Corinthians 9 that were collecting the gift and eventually sending it on, the recipients knew where the gift came from. But they gave glory to God. Alright, last one. This is an example that all of us could say is an example of what not to do. Acts chapter 5, verse 1. And I'm not even going to read all of it. Acts chapter 5, verse 1. Our good friends Ananias and Sapphira. Hmm. This is early days of the church. We had all things in common. People were selling their stuff to meet the needs of the needy believers who were being ostracized from their Jewish families, Jewish homes, Jewish jobs. Ananias and Sapphira do a great act of righteousness. They sell their house. And then what? What was their motive? Well, part of it was perhaps to be helpful, but part of it was to keep some. Like, it wasn't a pure motive. It wasn't a pure motive. Was it done publicly? Kind of. They made a presentation of how much they said they sold the house for. Did the reward come from man or from God? In this case, neither, right? And so here you see an act of righteousness that really blew apart or fell apart because of the motive and the mechanism. Well, we see plenty of acts of righteousness with Peter, uh, with the widow, um, with um, the Good Samaritan, where it was known... It was seen, but it was done for the right reason and in the right way. And one of the things that we have to really be careful about is we're being genuine. Our faith, James would talk about this, like a pure and undefiled faith, has fruit. Visiting widows, visiting prisoners, visiting feeding the poor, right? All of that is post-salvation as we're created unto good works. Titus 2 and 3, three or four times, be prepared for good works, be diligent for good works. We, like some, you can't go through life frozen because you're afraid that someone might see you doing something good. That's why you have to go back to verse 1 of Matthew Matthew 6. And beware of checking our motives. My motives, your motives. As we're being zealous for good works. As we're being ready to help in a time of need, right? Those things are necessary components, essential outworkings of our salvation. And we can't justify inactivity by saying, well, my left and right. 
I can't figure this out. And we can't certainly judge other people how their left and right hands are working and their motives. Like, that's, that's not our role and our responsibility. So be genuine. Be genuine in the motive. Be genuine as to the means, the mechanism, certainly not attempting to draw attention to ourselves. But be genuine in your walk and that you have a walk worthy of your calling, remembering that we're called unto good works. We're called to do acts of righteousness. And so we need to be able to balance all of those things. The motive, the venue, is it public, is it private, and who the reward is coming from. Our Father, we're so thankful that you love us enough to want to give us rewards. And we think of how unworthy we are. Uh, we, We don't even deserve salvation the greatest gift ever given. And yet you want to heap upon that eternal reward so that we can experience heaven in a grander way. We thank you as well, Father, for the instruction from your word, and we pray that you would help us to walk in a manner consistent. We think of the opening course about being obedient. Father, we pray that our hearts would be aligned with your word and that our actions would be aligned with it as well. There would be no hypocrisy but that our walk would be genuine and pleasing. We just give you thanks in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.